I'm Craig Kenneth, a relationship coach and a psychotherapist. Every relationship is different and every breakup is different. Work with me and you'll get professional help on your situation. And if you're in no contact, focused on personal growth, my creative healing course is filled with hours of exclusive content. Available now at AskCraig.net. Hi there, I'm Coach Craig Kenneth. I'm Coach Margaret. And today we're gonna to be talking about treatment of borderline personality disorder. So many of you may have borderline personality disorder or a partner that does mm -hmm. or friends and family that do. Mm -hmm. And understanding what they go through and how they can get help is very important especially if you have a partner absolutely that has the issue yeah. margaret and i are going to be talking about this today and looking at how to treat it because right. it can be treated yes it can when i was first in the field um there were most of the field of mental health really didn't believe that borderline personality disorder could be treated. But as we have learned more and more about early childhood development, early childhood trauma, and attachment disorders, we have learned better and better how to treat borderline personality disorder, okay? Which is a very refreshing development for me because there are many borderlines around and there are many borderlines who find their way into the system one way or another, mental health or protective services or, you know, hospitalizations, et cetera, et cetera. Um, there's no standard medication for it, like you can say that, you know, bipolar disorder is treated with mood stabilizers. There's no magic um, kind of medicine that works for borderlines, but I did work, work with a psychiatrist at one time who would give them a very low dose of an antipsychotic, and that would seem to make a, a big difference. The term borderline originally meant somebody who is sort of in this world some of the time, but other times seems to be psychotic or drifting off somewhere, okay? okay. So that was the idea. They were on the borderline of staying, staying where they are or, or not occasionally all right um, now I attended a conference over last weekend with a gentleman I wanted to hear speak his name name is dr. Ross and dr. Ross has been in the field of trauma dissociation and borderlines for as long as I've been around so he's been around for a long time and I wanted to hear him speak and I'm very glad I did and what he talked about was he currently runs an inpatient facility an inpatient hospital um, for, essentially for borderlines. Mm -hmm. um, and most people get into his hospital by having made a suicide attempt. And sometimes that's the only way they can think of to reach out for help. Mm -hmm. um, so he was explaining that most of his patients come in with multiple diagnoses. diagnoses. In fact, he says most of them have as many as 10 diagnoses. And I'm absolutely familiar with that phenomenon. Um, but most of them are diagnosed borderline and they're diagnosed with panic disorder. Some are diagnosed with depression. 
um, various different kinds of depressions, some with anxiety disorders. Um, and if you diagnosed every, sim every symptom that a borderline has, you could easily come up with 10 diagnoses. Mm -hmm. And I learned over the years that when you got a case like that where there were all these different diagnoses, usually what you had was major trauma and major acting out, like borderlines. Okay? Yep. Um, so he talks about his hospital and treating people. And here's his theory. He looks at it as an attachment disorder, which I think is a refreshing way to look at it. Uh, he maintains that the beginning of the borderline diagnosis is the fact that the child's caretaker and loved one, the one that the child has to attach to, okay, because children have to attach, is also the perpetrator of the abuse. Think about that for a minute. That would be the child who grows up in a situation where I suppose we have to blame mother because she's usually the one who has the child, where mother is loving and appropriate one minute and may, in another minute, slap the child, hit the child, hurt the child, verbally abuse the child. And all of this is coming from the same source. Can yeah. you imagine the confusion? Yeah, because everything inside of you naturally wants to bond. It's your mother. Absolutely. That's how we're made. And so you do. And that becomes your good mother. And then there's the mother who abuses you, who becomes the bad mother. So mother gets split in two, okay? And oftentimes what they say about borderlines is that they split the world in two, that they see the world totally in black and white. You're either all good or all bad, okay? And that is the origin of what's called splitting, all right? and. Borderlines will even split their, their caretakers, you know. You're the best therapist I ever had except today. Um, and I called two other agencies to complain about you so that you would do a better job taking care of me. So you who are trying to treat them, they will treat exactly the same way. You're the best I ever worked with for a while and then you're just despicable mm -hmm. the next week, all right? And you have to understand where that is coming from or you wouldn't want to treat them. I can understand why some people don't want to, all right? But I think if you understand the origins of it, it becomes a whole lot easier, all right? Um, the child must split or dissociate to keep the perpetrator okay enough to attach with. The child feels small, scared, sad, lost, and lonely. And he repeated that phrase numerous times to remember that the borderline feels small, scared, sad, lost, and lonely and then periodically has a heck of an angry outburst over feeling that way, all right? Um, he describes the borderline, the borderline diagnosis as a perfectly reasonable response to the child's dilemma in childhood. In other words, you can't look at these people and say, how could they possibly have turned out this way? If you understand what their history and their confusion was like, borderline makes much more sense, all right? He goes on to describe how the only way a child can make sense of all this confusion and a changing love object is to blame themselves for their caretaker's behavior. Now, if you're a kid and you're in the middle of all this craziness and you loved one minute and hated the next, um, you tend to conclude that it must be your fault and that you must have done something to make your mother change and hurt you, okay? Now, at least for the child, this makes some sense out of the confusion, but you can see that they're going to have absolutely no decent self 
sense of self or self-concept. I must be a bad child if my mother does this. Yeah, it's crazy how kids internalize yes, and everything and kids like internalize that. everything and blame themselves. Well, and, and if you think about it, that's really they feel helpless because all they can really do is control themselves. They that's can't all, control yeah. an adult. No, they can't control an adult. So all they can do is make sense out of it about how that must be their behavior. And I can think of a woman I worked with for a long time um, who, up until the time I had seen her for three years, was still saying, are you sure I didn't do something to make my father act that way? Yes, I'm sure. He's responsible, not you. But as long as the child thinks they're the one um, who is responsible for it, it at least gives them a little, at least imagined control. Okay? Yeah. Um, because you feel so helpless as a child. You feel so helpless. What is it he said? Small, scared, sad, lost, and lonely. So imagine that person, that's their inner world, where right. the person that's supposed to make you feel the most loved and cared about and cherished and adored right. makes you feel small lonely scared, scared sad lost yeah. um and then how are you going to have a healthy romantic relationship yeah. when you've never had a healthy relationship with the people that you are supposed can. to you can take care of you the most and what happens is you get into if you're thinking about women like i say not not all borderlines are women, but women will get into a relationship and they will idealize their partner for a while and then all of a sudden they will devalue the partner and they'll leave the relation. relationship, leaving the partner completely stunned. And we've gotten a number of, of cases like that. Sure. Um, the poor partner doesn't know what he did. All right. He talks about something called the Karpman Triangle, and that was sort of something you heard about any time you took a psychology course in, in college or graduate school. And the Karpman Triangle is about abuse and people's responses to it. And on one third of the triangle is the perpetrator. Another of the points of the triangle is um, the victim. And the third part of the triangle is a rescuer. Now, Borderlines go around all the time looking for a rescuer, but they can't really find one because they devalue them as soon as they get them. Okay, so they can't find a rescuer. So that leaves them dealing with the end of the triangle that has the perpetrator and the one that has the victim. And according to Dr. Ross, which I think is brilliant, he sees it that when the, the borderline mutilates themselves or does all kinds of risky, dangerous behavior, that they are becoming the perpetrator of their own bad self. Okay? Does that make sense? I think so. Yeah. So in other words, they end up their own abuser. Okay? And that's the thing I think that puzzles people the most. How can these people treat themselves that way? That's, And if you identify as the perpetrator rather than the victim, you still have a little more control. Okay? So they're forever punishing their bad selves who brought all this on. Okay? Wow. Um, all right. The child has to embrace the idea that their badness controls what happens. Okay? Therefore, they gain some sense of control and make sense of things. They can also become the perpetrator by cutting and mutilating themselves and by doing other self-destructive things like risky, dangerous sex, dangerous partners, gambling, all kinds of crazy stuff. Okay? Um, you can't believe the amount of trouble some of these folks can get into. 
The doctor goes on to talk about actually treating these folks in his hospital. Mm -hmm. And he said the first thing he sees is what he calls the borderline Olympics. Now that's said with humor, but I know exactly what it means. Because the borderlines immediately will do, try and create five crises in the hospital and they'll go to staff members saying that staff member was mean to me and maybe Dr. Ross was mean to me and they'll call their family and say they're starving me here and they're all mean and abusive to me um, or they'll split with you and like you one minute and hate you the next but they'll get other people involved and the other thing which is about the only thing they have left to do to act out is they'll try to find anything on the unit that they can cut themselves with Ooh. Okay, so you have to watch the inpatient people very, very carefully. I hospitalized somebody oh, a couple of years ago um, who needed to be hospitalized for suicidal stuff. And um, she maintained that she did find some kind of a paper clip to cut herself with. Okay. And Dr. Ross reminds us, and you know, everybody doesn't, everybody says, well, why possibly would they cut themselves? It must be to get attention from everybody else. And according to this doctor, cutting affects the brain like a shot of heroin. So if a borderline cuts, um, they know that immediately they're going to get an instant calm down. Okay? Now, traditionally, therapists have assumed that cutting is a suicide attempt, which it really often isn't with a borderline. It's an attempt to, what they'll tell you, what the borderlines themselves will tell you, it's an attempt to let the pain out. And they feel very, very re relieved when they've cut themselves. And like I say, according to the doctor, it calms them right down like a shot of heroin. Okay? So, and then we've traditionally hospitalized them after they've done this, which of course is a waste of time because then by that time they're all calmed down. They got the shot of heroin, all right? Um, but you, you can't tolerate the behavior either. Um, sure. And I've known therapists who did and would only ask the client to um, report cutting. You know, the client can say to you, well, I cut myself periodically. And some therapists will say, well, you need to let me know when that happens. Not me. What I've learned to say is you have to stop because if your energy, if you're dealing with your problems and your pain by cutting yourself, then you're not going to deal with it in words, which is what you need to do. So I will make them make a contract with me minute one that they're going to do their level best not to cut. Okay? Because they need that energy um, to help themselves. All right? Okay. Um, all the self Now, this doctor considers all the self-destructive stuff addictions or things that they do that serve the purpose of taking them away from their own selves and their lives. Okay? So he always asks the patients, what does this behavior do for you? Whether you're using drugs, alcohol, cutting yourself, wild sex, putting yourself in dangerous situations, all of those things. And somehow, and eventually they will, they will figure out that that's why they're doing it, that it keeps them in crisis, it takes them away from dealing with their depression, their trauma history, and everything that's going on in their lives. And that's why they do all this self-destructive stuff. Okay? Not because they want to, and not because they want your attention. And I love this line from him. He says, 
you know, he'll tell them that. What does this behavior do for you? And they'll eventually be able to tell him. And then they'll say to him, I can't give it up. And I have had many borderlines tell me that. I can't give up this behavior or I'll go crazy or I'll kill myself or whatever. And what he'll say to them is, you've just told us about your childhood. Okay? If you could live through your childhood, there is nothing you can't do if you put your mind to it. So he immediately reminds them that they have some huge strengths if they got even this far. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. And it would be hard to argue with that, wouldn't it? Okay. Um, now they have to have, when they come in, um, they have to have um, a program and a treatment plan that they agreed to initially. Um, and then they have to have a, a, another treatment plan for their long-term treatment for their inpatient stay. Mm-hmm. Now... According to this doctor, almost all of them are going to be referred to some 12-step program, whether it's alcohol, drugs. Um, there are 12-step programs for many, many things these days. So on the assumption that they will all be referred to a 12-step program, he says step 0.5, which would be lower than the first step of any of the, any of the um, programs, yeah. um, means that they have to decide to do something different. Okay. They have to, <laughs> step point oh, oh point 0.5 is to, you have to decide you want something different because it isn't easy, all right? And they can't, yeah, they can't make the changes and they can't give up all their numbing behaviors and he reminds them again and again that yes, they can. Yep. Anger is a central issue in the treatment of these folks because either it's leaking out in angry behavior and, you know, rages, um, that they didn't plan to have, or it's turning on themselves in the form of all the self-destructive stuff they do. So he says, and I'm so happy to hear it, that most therapy is anger-phobic, and it is true. Therapists are very reluctant to encourage patients to be angry. Um, so they are invited to deal with their angle initially, in this hospital, initially, they're invited to throw things if they need to, or they can put up a picture of somebody they're angry at and throw things at it, if, they, if that's where they can begin. I th- why do you think therapists are so scared of anger? Well, I think that we sort of grow up in a world that tells us from day one um, that it's not okay to be angry, okay? They make you feel guilty about Absolutely. it. Absolutely. And if people get angry at their parents, they get in all kinds of trouble. Sure. Okay? So the message we all get is that it's not okay to be angry. I think this is just my part of what I'm thinking too, is that if you're angry, um, it's like the anger is going to own you and that you're not going to be happy and and you're not going to be you work through your stuff you know you know what i mean exactly the anger is they see it as a negative thing but really the anger gives you the energy absolutely anger gives you the energy and it has been an annoyance of mine to be honest for many many years that i get so many clients who've been to other therapists who were told they must never get angry and it forces a lot of people to try to forgive their perpetrators before they've dealt with their anger and you can't and I get people on the phone who say, well, I've forgiven my parents. Well, have you been angry at them? No, I just forgave them. You can't do that. It's still there, and it's going to come out in another way. Okay? Mm-hmm. Um, but I think, you know, and Christianity had no intention of doing this, but we're told, if, you know, to turn the other cheek. 
and to forgive everybody. And if you look at the number of articles there are around about forgiveness, but you can't skip the anger stage. And as Craig points out, anger brings with it energy. Okay? So if that's where they can start, they will encourage them to do that in the hospital. All right? And, you know, who knows how comfortable most therapists are. I mean, therapists are trained to be nice all the time, <laughs> you know? Um, and sometimes I don't think therapists remember that anger is a healthy, necessary emotion that was given to us for a reason. It lets us know when somebody's stepping on our face, okay? Yeah. And you cannot recover from trauma without dealing with your anger. It's not okay that you've been hit or hurt under any circumstances. And you hear things like, my parents did the best they could. Well, I'm sure they did. But the fact remains, you got hurt, and we have to deal with that reality. Yeah. Okay? And that they were big and grown-ups, and you were little and a child. And it's not okay. You know? Now, you can certainly work through your anger, forgive your parents, and go on with your life. But you can't skip the anger stage. And as Craig just pointed out, you see all sorts of things as you, well, you better be careful about dealing with your anger, because you know you could get really stuck in it. Mm -hmm. I've heard that one a thousand times. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I just don't think many clinicians are trained on anger. I don't either. I don't either. Yeah. I wasn't, as a matter of fact. I figured it out eventually. Um, and I figured it out working with borderlines. If you get a borderline to be sad and or genuinely angry, then you can help them. And from there I began to figure out the rest of it. But ang happy, sad, angry, or scared. Those are the four basic emotions, and anger is one of them. Mm -hmm. And I've also worked with people who have been so traumatized that they're terrified of their anger and don't have it available to them. And unfortunately, they can turn out to be doormats because they can't get angry at anyone. Yeah. Okay? So we need it to defend ourselves. Yep. Um, all right. So Dr. Ross has taken an attachment-based approach to understanding borderline behavior. Yeah. The child's dilemma is that he or she cannot attach in any reasonable way. Um, so this would produce the very same thing we describe as disorganized attachment style. Yes. And borderline is a formal diagnosis. Um, our friend Dr. Bowlby gave us the attachment styles. That's not a formal diagnosis, but we're, what we're explaining here is that the two overlap here that what we call disorganized attachment often produces borderline personality disorder. The person has traits of both anxious, fear of abandonment symptoms, and also of the avoidant behavior. If you start to get close to a borderline, which is what they desperately want, they desperately want relationships, the minute it gets too close, they'll go into a rage at you, and you have no idea what happened. And they leave you wondering what you did. Yeah. And we're not talking about sometimes I feel close to somebody, sometimes I feel avoidant. We're talking about extremes. Extremes, absolutely. Borderlines is about extremes. Yellow uh, tape. Yeah. yeah. Yellow tape. I, I, had, I did a call with a borderline today, mm -hmm. um, and I could see some of her extreme behavior um, where she was just so angry at her boyfriend for not taking her out on dates, and she was like, that's it, I'm done, and... Mm -hmm. And then, of course, she wants to see him and wants... So, so he's been devalued and now he's going to be idealized yeah, again. Yeah. yeah. What did you tell her? Um, well, she had a... 
a really know, rough you history. You want to be careful. Yeah, she yeah. had a rough history. And that's what you find if you ask. Yeah. Okay. It was very extreme. Yeah. And I, I was, told her she was very courageous for opening up the way she did. Yes, she was. And she was. And she was. Good for her. Because if I told you this stuff that was happened to her was just... Yeah. Really extreme, yeah. and for you know, for me to say really extreme, yeah, yeah. It was really we're, extreme. we're used to extremes. So if Craig is saying it's extreme, yeah, it's extreme. I'm talking about extreme sexual yeah. abuse. Yeah, okay, and of course, when like I said, when I was first in the field many, many years ago, thirty-five years ago, maybe forty, um, we did not know what we know now about trauma. Okay, and we looked for explanations of things that tended to be much more blaming of the victim. Okay. And I was told when I was coming up that um, crazy women become borderlines and crazy men become antisocial. Okay? And I didn't think at the time that that made a whole lot of sense. And then I went to work in the prison system where I met the borderline men. Um, and they may have been antisocial to some extent, but they had all the abandonment fears um, and, the, and the worries and the anxieties that the females have. Okay, so there are many borderline men in the prison, okay? They probably have another diagnosis along with it, but many people do. Yeah. All right? That was a lot. So I'm very happy I heard this guy speak, and I was not one bit disappointed. That was a lot to take in. Yeah. And, and he is very sympathetic with them because he knows what they've been through. You know, he's not, oh, yeah. He doesn't take any nonsense because you can't, but you can be sympathetic and limit-setting at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it was a good presentation. I um, liked it. And hopefully... I hope it was useful. For those of you that are learning, interested in learning more about it, you know, there's we have some other videos on borderline personality yes. disorder. Um, and if you feel like you might have that diagnosis, I would highly recommend you get yourself a local clinician that understands it right. and specializes in it. Yep. The other thing I'm delighted to report is that there's now all kinds of material on the internet. And there are chat rooms for borderlines where you can, sometimes it's a group of borderlines, sometimes it has a moderator, but there are resources online. And I would absolutely encourage you, if you're not quite ready for, therapist, for therapy, at least look at what's online that might be helpful to you. Sure. You might also look at the workbooks or the creative healing course where Absolutely. a lot of that is centered on healing attachment stuff and working through stuff. There's a big story of your life mm -hmm. section yep. that you helped us do yeah. that is very helpful to putting, uh, when you put your story together, it's therapeutic and it helps you realize yep. things that, oh wow, I didn't even think about this before. Mm. All right. Good info, give Margaret a thumbs up for the video. Of course, if you want to get our help personally, just go to my website, askcraig.net, sign up for the coaching option that works best for you. I do email coaching and I do Skype, and Margaret is available for Skype coaching. If you feel that I can be helpful to you, please sign up. Just click on Margaret on the top of the website to get a coaching with her. But that's it for this video. I'm Coach Craig Kenneth. I'm Coach Margaret. And we will talk with you soon. To get my help personally, go to AskCraig.net and click on Schedule Coaching and choose the option that works best for you. I do email coaching or Skype. To schedule a coaching with Margaret, click on Margaret on the top of the page and order a Skype with her.
For the Knowledge Creative Healing Course, click on the link at the top of the page and click Get Started Now.